Welcome to the Experts Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of what it really means to be in the media. Featuring interviews with media stable experts and some of Australia's prominent media. We'll break down some of the myths, the fears, the skills and the knowledge needed to succeed in the media. The Experts Podcast is for the business owner, communicator, PR professional, leader of industry or anyone looking to develop their profile to be a recognised expert. The Experts Podcast is powered by Media Stable. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Experts Podcast. And as ever, Carmen Braidwood, how are you? I'm pretty well. How are you, Nick? I'm going okay. It's uh, It's been a pretty busy week. And you know what I've been focusing on all last week, Carmen? Mm, what's that? Budgery gas. Interesting. Budgies. Budgies. Little, not budgie smugglers. Not people trying to get around <laughs> in their uh, bathers and their suits there. I'm talking about our little feathered friend, the, the budgery gar. And Nice. It is my pleasure to invite the president of the Budgerigar South Australia, the president of the Budgerigar South Australia Association, <laughs> Troy Holmes. Welcome, Troy. Morning, Nick. Thank you for having me. Wow. Mate, thank you for coming on. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to to, to have a chat with you because I think it's going to be a great insight to those that uh, might have an event, they might have a passion, they might have something that they're quite keen to get out there or amplify a message but might not necessarily know how to do it. And, Troy, I think you're a classic example of someone who has had some media in the past, probably media, not the media that you wanted, and uh, you've had an incredible last week. So uh, well done to you. What was, what, what was your experience with media when you first uh, kicked off? You're in the robotics industry. You're, you've, you've, you've been around for a little while. What was your first experience with media? My, my first real experience with media uh, was back in 2005. We were uh, nominated for the Entrepreneur of the Year program um, through Ernst Young and had BRW Magazine reach out and they said, we're going to publish an article on you in the BRW Top 100 um, Under 40. And I said, okay, how? And they said, look, we've, uh, we put a valuation on you of about $15 million. And wow. I said, look, if we go halves, you take it. I'm uh, I'm keen to get out at, at seven and a half million. That's well above my number and I don't know how you valued it at that. And he said, listen, Joker, um, <laughs> you're, uh, we're going to publish this article whether you like it or not. So you can either have some input into it. And I, I was very taken back by that. Um, I said, I, I can't see how I have any valuation anywhere approaching that and they said, look, we've done our research. We just want to understand you're given some input on this. If you want to, um, you can be a part of it if you don't. And as I said, I was very taken back. Um, I was on site at the time. And uh, what I found was what ended up being produced created a little bit of tall poppy syndrome. As I said, I wish um, I had that money. Um, I don't know how they came up with that valuation at the time. It was nowhere near it. We were an infant company sort of three years in at that stage. We were doing well. Um, in terms of um, getting some accolades. But for me, um, it ended up being a fairly negative process, um, one that I didn't want to go down again. And just obviously uh, then having um, some <coughs> newspaper articles put out there, which I did get to have a little bit of input on, but um, the commentary that was associated with them didn't and it had negative flow-on effects to us. So for me, it meant hiding under the radar for a few years after that. Uh, I was very adverse to 
to any sort of media attention, trying to hide myself off Google and uh, be be hidden in the shadows, so to speak. I definitely didn't want the media attention. And this happens a lot, doesn't it, Carms? When people mm. have had, who have had a negative experience to, to media uh, get awfully shy about it and also to start questioning whether that is a place for them. Yeah, the classic once bitten, twice shy phenomena, right? And it may be through no fault of your own, Troy, that you didn't quite know what to do when you've got this journalist on the phone. And when they say something like that to you, you know, whether your input is in it or not, we will run. You're nothing in your alarm bells will go off, won't they? And I don't blame you for having that experience. So you're going through your head thinking, this is incorrect. How do I? pull this back in you mentioned some tall poppy syndrome kicked in what can you expand on that what actually happened in the market we were working with some customers uh, who we had really good working relationships with and our intention is to partner with customers um, so that you know we're joining in our success together and and building great things and what we saw off the back of that was well, you guys are doing really well. You can deal with it. So mm. we suddenly lost um, some of the, I guess, the willingness to partner um, and probably a, a little bit of integrity too, in my mind, um, just purely from the fact that these customers thought that, you know, we were taking the work and marking it up 15% and somehow, and, and how do you suddenly end up at $15 million? And you're trying to explain to them that you're not. Um, mm. But all of a sudden, it's just you've you've got this left of field thing that's really you need to run interference of, and it just it was hard work. And in two thousand and five, that would have been harder because it, there's no social media, uh, um, not as much social media, right? I think Facebook really became widely used in two thousand and seven. So businesses didn't have this other way to control the narrative other than responding to the media. So what did you do? How could you counter that messaging? As I said, for us, simply, it was um, hiding under the radar. So mm. we were literally, if if you look at SEO and uh, what they do there, take the, the complete opposite of that. We were attempting to hide, hide mm. and hide some more. Well, this is, and this is the disaster that I think that for many businesses, if you've been bitten by the media, you, you actually end up going to do that. But mm. I met Troy Holmes at a, a business essay lunch. Uh, I was introduced to him as a robotics expert, but it wasn't the robotics that got my attention. It was his passion. It was his hobby. It was his life be behind the scenes of the robotics in the very humble budgerigar. And mm. uh, Troy, I, I still remember that conversation we had. You, you threw me so much because... Uh, we're, we're a similar age, your, uh, your, your passion and energy behind it, the way you spoke about the budgerigar, I just went, this is amazing. So uh, do you recall that conversation? And, and, and talking about it, it's, it, is, it is probably something, if you could do it uh, full time, you'd probably do it for life, wouldn't you? Oh, look, it's great to be able to um, do something that you love. Um, it is uh, definitely a hobby, but it is something that, I'm sure if you could do full-time, you would, um, just because you, you're passionate about it and you enjoy it so much. So it's one of those one of those things that I'm very fortunate to be able to do something that I love. But our, our conversation extended beyond that, and, and, and we got talking, and, and you had this idea called Budgie Fest. Uh, never been done before, never been done before around the country. 
and you sat down, you, you spoke to me about it, and uh, some people might have thought I was a little crazy maybe taking this on because the budgie hasn't been really that renowned for getting or attracting a lot of media attention. But uh, how did Budgie Fest go last Saturday, Troy? Look, it exceeded all of our expectations. Um, it was outstanding. So we'd, we'd attempted earlier in the year to sort of activate budgies um, here in South Australia, and we'd done that through our state championships. And we'd actually had, uh, we counted 51 people from the public who weren't members of a budgie club come through, and we thought that was an outstanding result. Um, we ran budgie first, and we had around 720 people come through the doors with their pet budgies, wanting to learn more. Um, we've seen pet bird shops around Adelaide. A bunch of them have sold out of their unbroken cat baby birds. Um, we've obviously done a great job of convincing people that the budgie, I mean, being the world's third most popular pet, um, has a lot of great virtues that people might not have considered before. So whether it be, you know, for a rental property where you struggle to have a cat or a dog, whether it be just for a low-maintenance animal, um, one that if you're not feeling that you want to interact with at that particular moment, you might just put a towel over the cage and it'll go nice and quiet and go away. Um, but being able to talk, you know, there's some great stories behind it. There's there's a budgie that released a, an album on Abbey Road Studios. Yeah. You know, <laughs> where the Beatles did. Uh, went on tour. Obviously <laughs> only needed some cheap seed. It would have been a pretty cheap tour, but... Um, yeah, they're, they're a whole lot of fun. And I think we did a great job of activating birds in the state. And uh, the event was a overwhelming success. Definitely more people than we'd anticipated. We made 150 show bags in the hopes that we'd have 50 kids there and we'd have 100 left over. And I think the show bags went in 45 minutes. Love so that. This is such a good result, isn't it? And Nikki mentioned that, you know, not traditionally you would expect to hear stories about budgies in the media, but to me as a programmer, right, and working on, on shows, TV shows, radio shows, budgies, the third most popular pet in the world, are the lifeblood of our content, right? So this time of year in particular, everyone can relate to it. I wasn't allowed a dog, so I got a budgie. Um, John Williamson's song, you know, the little blighter only cost me five bucks, but it cost me 50 bucks to fix me budgie. This is part of Australian vernacular and it's the perfect fodder and probably music to the ears of any community association like you are there, the president of the Budgie Association. It's just it's radio perfection. It's TV show perfection. And I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you got great media. What was the best exposure you think you managed to, to garner for Budgie Fest? Look, I think uh, we, had a, we, we dropped a great bomb on 5AA in the middle yeah. of the live interview. Uh, we ambushed poor David Pempathy. Um, and, and it was great. He was genuinely interested and excited about the event. Mm-hmm. And uh, being a, a radio, talkback radio icon um, here in South Australia, uh, we thought he would be no better man than to judge the chirp champion, the, the best talking budgie. Yeah. We had some really good talking <laughs> budgies entered. You know, these, this particular budgie says to its owners every night, you're a good budgie. You know, it tells its owners, you're a good budgie. And, you know, we've got another one that speaks Japanese. We've got one that actually teaches other budgies to speak Japanese. So, you know, he wasn't coming in without his work cut out. Um, <laughs> and we dropped that on him in front of uh, Will Goodings and it was fantastic. He was all over it, wanted to be a part of the day, and it was just so good 
to see so much media there and them all just enjoying the budgie for what it was. Mm. Well, here's a, here's a little tip to anyone that's listening today because I think, again, the, the budgie itself uh, hasn't had a lot of media in the past mm. and probably for anyone that was pushing it out there is going, well, how do we fit this in? But uh, I can tell you this, every producer that we sent it through just went, oh, yes, I yep. get it. It's a little quirky. It's a little different. It's something that is just not quite out there. But it was the eye-openers, the fact that it is the third world's most popular pet, according mm. to Wikipedia. So we're not just making this up. It's uh, Wikipedia's telling it. If Wikipedia says so, <laughs> it is so. But the other thing was, and it was in my learnings too, Carms, is the fact that I didn't realise the budgerigar was native Australian. It was a native mm. Australian bird. And that blew my mind because... When you think about it, we're batting well above our averages there for a native Australian bird to be the third mm. world's most popular pet. Uh, it's amazing. So those little quirky little elements, those little uh, tidbits that you can take to the media, a good producer sees that and goes, you know what, I want that story. It's a wonderful, wonderful case study. If you're listening and you're representing some other organisation that you want to inject into the narrative and get into the news cycle, you need to look for those little factoids that people are going to say to their family or friends over dinner that night, right, after they've heard it. Would you believe our budgie, Minty, called so because he's minty green or bluey over there because he happens to be blue is actually the third most popular pet in the world and they're native australian you can hear that conversation happening around the dinner tables you've got to run that rule of thumb over your content the other thing you want to do is think pictures right as soon as i hear budgie fest i think oh my god thousands of little colorful birds on display the ones who talk we're getting footage and, and hearing that like all of this stuff is the making of a perfect news package toward the end of the bulletin that you've been hooking throughout the entire show right you've got to have those beautiful pictures at the start of the bulletin that say and a little later this is coming up and that'll keep people watching and that's how news producers and the person sitting at the cos desk think right so you as the organization got to think that way was this stuff as obvious to you Troy when you took on that role as president of the um, budgie association no definitely not um it, it wasn't on my radar mm -hmm. I had some uh, very good help um identifying those kind of intricacies of what I needed to do and then also um I guess keeping on target keeping on focus keeping the messaging and the branding strong so what we wanted to do for all the budgie breeders out there, it, it seems like everyone that we interviewed had a budgie as a kid. Mm. And whether they bred budgies as a kid or not didn't matter. They had a pet budgie as a kid. They were involved in it in some way, shape or form. And what we saw as a demographic coming through is that there was a lot of young kids today who don't have the option of having a pet or may not have a, a pet budgie. And, and we saw this gap coming through. So for mm. us, Budgie Fest was about putting budgies back in the hands of kids and all the reasons why a budgie is a great pet for a kid, you know, why we can all enjoy them. And, and the hope is obviously we're planting seeds for trees that we may never see the shade for, you know, that we're getting, you know, our future budgie breeders, our, our future budgie lovers out there 40 years from now hmm. um, that we see South Australia really take up a great place for that. Great. Boom. A couple of and great points. We did yeah. have. We did have Mix 102.3 take a different uh, look at it. And when oh, the yeah? pitch was put forward to them, 
they so we've gone from AM. You've gone from yeah. uh, David Pemberthy, one of the icons of Five Double A, the of, of Adelaide Radio Talkback, to FM, uh, one of the leading FM programs. Uh, a simple press release, a simple commentary piece was sent over to their program. Yep. And immediately the presenter picked it up and went, I resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was a breeder <laughs> myself with my father. Yep. And immediately she saw the value and the opportunity of the story. Let's talk about Ellie Clark and uh, her breakfast program. Um, you went on to that. It was a, a, a very different experience there, Troy. Look, we were very fortunate to get Ali involved and I hadn't realised um, that Ali was a, a budgie breeder until that point. So for me, I found that out on the actual show itself. Mm-hmm. So now, Nick, are you looking for me to dive into the intricacies <laughs> of how the interview went here? Because Well, I, I think how it's fair it that we should talk to, to everyone because, again, when you are doing radio and whether it's pre-packaged radio or live radio, you're going to be held and put into different situations. And yeah. I can assure you this one thing, Troy, before you start talking about your very experience uh, talking to Ali Clark's show, uh, there will be a lot of listeners that have done a lot of radio interviews, in, uh, particularly at airports. You might be at the Qantas Lounge. You might be at the Virgin Lounge. The only places you can actually do that is to go either to the Luz or find a very private or quiet place in the lounge, which is very difficult. But, Troy, go ahead. Tell us where you did your interview with Ellie Clark 102.3 Mix. So poor Mix 102.3 will be mortified when they they actually hear how this went down on my end. But um, I got the phone call that they were very keen to to talk to us and, of course, enthusiastically wanted to get onto the show. I was coming through security at uh, Melbourne Airport on my way back to Adelaide. Okay. And said, I'm just going to run into the Qantas Lounge and grab a meeting room. Now, I didn't realise Qantas don't have meeting rooms anymore. So went into there and a lady suggested, look, you could probably find a quiet place in the corner of the business lounge over here and the lounge was packed. There'd been cancelled flights, this, that, the other. So I ran up to the shower area, which has these private cubicles, and I thought, perfect, I can go and sit in here. Hopefully there's no echo. Mm. And I put my hand on the door and my phones rang back. And it's them ready to go. And I've thought, oh, my goodness, I'm, <laughs> I'm not prepared here. So I've, I've closed the door. I've folded the toilet seat down. I'm sitting on the, the toilet seat in my suit um, talking to them. And next thing, Qantas Flight 642 to Darwin is now boarding. And they're like, oh, we're getting a little bit of background noise here. And I'm like, look, I'm, I have to acknowledge I'm in an airport here. <laughs> um, you know, I can't help it. And they said, look, we're going to run with it anyway. Mm. They start interviewing me. And as they're talking, they took Max as suggesting, well, you know, convince me that the budgie is a great bird. And as I've gone to speak, I've forgotten to lock the toilet door. Oh, no. And this guy bursts through the door with about 3.2 seconds left before he's actually got to use the bathroom. He's holding on to the back of his pants. He is squirming. And then he's let out this apology. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. But as he has, of course, out comes the thunder on radio. And I'm sitting there trying to hold a straight face, but I've been crop dusted, completely crop dusted. So I'm sitting there going, trying to have this radio interview. And he's bust into the one next door to me. And he's so loud that all I can hear is him over the, the, the interview. And I'm trying to keep a straight face and I'm trying to remember everything that I wanted to say about how great this budgie was. And 
this poor guy beside me is mm. obviously in a world of pain. Um, he damaged something, I'm sure. So, oh. yes, I, it was definitely uh, trying to end up. That is well, There's a lesson to be learned here. There's a lesson to be ever. learned. Always turn, always close the door and lock it because uh, <laughs> your people will come running through. And, if you uh, do go back and listen to that radio interview, you can actually hear me get up and click the door. Yep. <laughs> In the but I bet because you are so well immersed in your content, Troy, and you know it so intrinsically what it is are the best talking points around budgies that you nailed that interview and that's what I like to call muscle memory. We all have to rely on that because you never know what's going to happen during an interview and I love that story. <laughs> that is the best story of things going awry live to air that I've ever heard. Spot on. Fantastic. Congratulations. Well done. It, it was outstanding. And I, I can say yeah. that, uh, that Mix 102.3 actually had a massive spike. Well, I should say the, the budgerigar. Talk to us about the spike in interest there because when you when you talk about the humble budgerigar, you, you, you forget it might not be a pet that you might have had, but you can be assured someone in your family mm. has. And, uh, and and it will bring back memories. What was the reaction to, to the to the Facebook and to your online pages there, Troy, when the Mix 102.3 interview went to air. Yeah, so I was gobsmacked. Um, Obviously, as Ellie's talking about all of this stuff before she's actually gone to interview me, um, we're seeing probably, I'm assuming it would be 60 times the normal amount of traffic um, on our website of people getting on and looking at Budgie Fest um, to become our number one hit page. Um, not only for that day but for that week. And to put that into perspective, um, the the amount of hits that we had was very close to the amount we actually had on the day. So we saw this tremendous spike in volume from Ali sitting there talking about the fact that she had these pet birds that she had such a great relationship with um, her parents at that time when she was she was doing that with them and just generally talking about the bird. All of a sudden we just saw this flood of of media, website traffic, this, that, the other, and we, we were absolutely astonished and our entries um, quadrupled. <laughs> so, yeah, the entries for the best pet bird in South Australia just went through the roof at that time. Well done, well done. And it, and it, and it does show, again, that if the story's crafted and positioned in a way that the audience, and this is, I think, from to your credit, Troy, is that you've spoken to all of the media, your, your piece on page five of the advertiser, your interview on the ABC. So you've, you've pretty much covered the major, all the all the major media uh, fronts. Uh, Channel 9 ran the piece on the Saturday um, on in SA Life. So that was in the lifestyle side of, of media. You were very broadly positioned. And I think to your credit, each of the engagements that you had with media, you fitted in with their audience in mind. And and at the end of the day, the budgery guard, the humble budgery guard, is is it's everyone's audience. Yeah. Whether you're an older parent, whether you're so an older person for a, a companion pet, or if you're a young breeder or potential young breeder, the the education around it and just the information, I think people were just absolutely wrapped to hear that the budgery guard was getting that kind of media attention. I think David had said in Five uh, AA that normally their interviews go between three and six minutes, and uh, he mentioned. Um, during Budgie Fest that obviously they'd taken it out to 12 minutes. They spent on air with it just because they're being bombarded with text messages through their text yeah. line about why does a budgie want cuttlefish? Why does this 
Hmm. And, and I was getting bombarded with these questions left, right and centre. You know, why do, <laughs> why do budgies, how big are the packs that they fly in, these murmurs, as they call them, of budgies in Outback Australia? And where does the name budgerigar come from? You know, it actually yeah. comes from an Aboriginal word meaning um, good tucker. And they're not <laughs> sure if it means that the budgie was great eating or that the budgie actually flew between the watering holes and where the watering holes were was good food. Mm. Right. So interesting. We've got to wrap this up, Troy. Love it. I, yeah. Really I, good. We, yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and Troy, we've got, we've, I really want to get your, your opinion now on media from your first experience back in the days when you were being actually, I think, harassed by a journalist at the end of the day when it comes to that uh, approach to the way that you worked with the media over the last fortnight. Uh, how, what's your feeling towards it now and, and what's the future for Budgie Fest? Look, I, my feelings initially, uh, as I said, I was very taken back. I was fortunate enough a year later with BRW that they came back. Um, the gentleman who I had as a journalist then was a voice of reason and understood um, where the error had been made mm-hmm. and probably set that back aside. So thankfully for me, that was done and dusted but obviously made me very adverse to anything to do with the media. For me now, over the past fortnight, um, it has been an absolute breath of fresh air. It's been a really welcome relief. I'm really glad at one point Nick mentioned to me, I said I had to take a photograph of a budgie on my head, and he said, Troy, for page five of the advertiser, you'd actually take it on your head in a pair of budgie smugglers to get on there, and I'm so glad I didn't have to... (laughs) get down into the budget smugglers because I wasn't going to go there. I was going to call Nick in as my body double. <laughs> you do whatever you have to Didn't do. Happen. But, no, the media the media's been great, um, mm. really welcoming and love the fact that, um, you know, they've told such a great narrative about the budget and really controlled that narrative. So it's it's been great for us, um, really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the experience. So I'm hoping we can take it back next year. Obviously, we've got to go back to our committee. It's not a one-man decision to decide if Budgie Fest goes ahead or not next year, but um, all the right signs. Everyone was really positive about the day. Had some really great feedback. We've been approached about turning it into Bird Fest instead of Budgie Fest. A lot of people want to try and get cockies and galahs and lorikeets and various mm-hmm. things into there. I don't know what that does for pitching the budgie noise. You know, the, the trill of a budgie is sort of nice and quiet, you might get in there and you'll have these squawking birds that may not necessarily be as attractive to some people. No, Uh, stick with the niche, Troy. Keep it niched. I like the budgie fest. It's got a ring to it and it's it's got the quirk and it appeals to the relatability. Yeah, we need that. Yeah, that's my So hopefully we can do it again next year. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Awesome result. So Yeah, I I think it's it's it is about keeping it niche, but also Mm. too, it's amazing how other organizations will ride off your coattails as well because mm. they're looking for your success. And I think as a leader in a space of communication, this goes to every expert that's listening to this uh, today, it's a great compliment that others will want to at mm. least emulate or uh, replicate what you've actually done and also to how can we and might we grow it because, again, um, once you start something, once you start the ball rolling and it's the momentum's moving forward, it's amazing what will happen um, and also, too, I, I mentioned to you earlier, Troy, that the, the tracks that you've laid down for this Budgie Fest is, is tracks that will be, in, will be present for 2024. So it will make it a lot easier um, and you can be a little even more targeted and you can actually expect or at least gain more media 
through that because they'll have seen what has happened in the last fortnight. Troy, got to wrap it up, mate. Uh, well done to you. Um, it, it, it was again a, a conversation that was started over a cup of coffee and uh, and and a discussion around budgery guards that even I had to do my research and find out a lot more about them. And um, I haven't got one yet, but I'm not saying I won't in, in the next uh, twelve months. But uh, it's uh, they're, they're a fascinating creature, and I can tell you this, Carms. I know you do a lot of MC work, uh, but I was MCing this event and trying to compete with budgie enthusiasts and budgery guards themselves. My God, they make a fair bit of noise when you put 360 of them together. Uh, <laughs> it was quite the challenge. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's got everything. And, and any community organisation listening, that was a really perfect case study about the elements of your story that you need to find and highlight in order to get a similar result. Don't hijack budgie fest. Just go do the same thing for yourself. So, Troy, if people want to join the Budgery Gar Society of South Australia or get in contact with you, how do they do it? Best way is to jump on to bcsa.com.au for the Budgery Gar Council. We have three clubs here in South Australia, one up in Port Pirie. We have the North East in the northern suburbs of Adelaide and the BSSA who are based down in Unley. You can join one of those clubs and join us or you can jump online at bcsa.com.au. And if you are an association, if you are a group, if you're a community group and you thought, my event could actually make it, if, if only I needed some help, I just need some help and support or at least some sort of guidance to do it, go and have a look at the way Budgie Fest came together because I don't think there is a better blueprint mm. for a, a small organisation to get big, big, big media. It was uh, an outstanding effort and well done to everyone involved. Well, that's it, Carbs. That's it for another Experts podcast. We look forward to having your company, maybe with a budgie, uh, next week when we talk to another expert or another media. Have a great week. Ta-da. You've been listening to the Experts podcast, powered by Media Stable. If you'd like to get in contact with the team, head to mediastable.com.au.